everybody. Colin Plume, CEO of Noble Gold Investments, My Digital Money, here today talking self-made millionaire tips with my friend Evan Rosenfeld. And we're talking today about the exciting thing that's happening this week, actually, is your show with Rain Wilson, Geography of Bliss. Uh, it's on Peacock. Really excited to see it. I watched the clip. I think I told you I watched the clip five times today. I thought it was hilarious. Um, tell us, I, you told me briefly, tell me about that show um, I know you started before COVID and it was sort of a struggle. Just there's so many moving pieces to do a show that was shot in different parts of the world. Tell me about the idea of the book and, and why you thought it was going to be good and sort of the journey there of this yeah. uh, story to make it to the end and on, on Peacock. So when I moved to LA and I started working, like trying to come up with show ideas and things like that, I was a huge fan of the Anthony Bourdain show, No, no Reservations. Love it. And I was like, I just think there should be like an Anthony Bourdain of this, of that. And somebody like set me straight early on. They said, that show is not like, it's not that it's a great idea. It's that Anthony Bourdain is great. And so you can't just come up with that idea. It's like, you have to find the, a person who's great. So I was discouraged for a long time with doing these like travel hosted travel shows because, you know, then I realized like, oh, that's true. There's all types of interesting things happening. Stanley but, Tucci did it. Yes. But he's Stanley Tucci. He's Stanley Tucci. And <laughs> right, even right. so, like, it's still very hard to get those going. You know, there's right. a thousand of these ideas for every one that gets made. And so um, that said, <coughs> I kind of, you know, put the idea away of doing a show like this until in 2019, a buddy of mine who worked with me on Vice World of Sports called, uh, his name was Casey Scharf, brought me this book called Geography of Bliss. It was a New York Times bestseller from 10 years before. And um, he had the book when it came out and had recently gone through something in his life that put him in a position to revisit it. And the book was written by this guy, Eric Weiner. Eric Weiner was an NPR journalist who had been covering all these stories around the world that were depressing, you know, about all these horrible things happening. And he found himself depressed. Like he was in these places only writing about things that were bad. And he found this list that comes out every year, ranking countries from happiest to least happy. There's a few different ones. The UN puts out one, the World Happiness Index. But he found this list, um, and he kind of thought it was BS, you know, because you see this list, it's like, oh, what are people just, like, filling out a survey in right, Iceland, right, right, you know, saying I'm yeah. happy or not. Um, but then he went to the organization that put the list together, and he came away a true believer in the science behind happiness. There was real science behind happiness, and and it totally, like, like broke his understanding of happiness in the sense that he realized he had such a bad idea of what would make him happy. He didn't understand what would act. And, and what he discovered was that people generally have a very bad ability to figure out what will make them happy. And so by understanding all the science, he's like, wow, if I could just like go to these places and understand the science behind the happiness, then you don't have to necessarily go to these places to be happy if we understand just why people in Iceland are happy or why people in Bulgaria are not happy. So he went to 10 countries for his book. And, you know, when you read the book, when my buddy Casey brought me this, each chapter read like an episode of Anthony Bourdain. Er, you know, Eric is in the hot springs with this, you know, Viking descendant, you know, uh, talking about Iceland's love of nature and the physical connection with nature and all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, the show kind of like wrote itself in a certain sense. So we got it and we started working out what it looked like, started writing all the materials around the show, describing what the show would be like, cutting a sizzle reel. We needed to think about who could host this thing because the journalist, Eric Weiner, is as good as he was for the book. He wasn't a TV guy. Yeah. I, I, I just to go yeah. back because he kind of went farther. I, uh, how did you get him on board? Rain. Uh, not Rain. Rain. Uh, the writer. Yeah, we just called him. I mean, look, you know, these people um, that write things, like, you know, get a lot of these calls. And you'd be shocked at how many things get optioned. But 
you know, fortunately for us, this had already been optioned, but it, uh, uh, like around 10 years before when the book came out and it didn't work out. And sometimes that's not in your favor because at the end of the day, you could throw money, you know, for these rights, but it's still going to take time and right. opportunity away from this person. So they, it's like a gamble for this. These people are gambling on when, you. So when it's optioned, yeah. uh, is it, do you option it for a certain amount of time? Yes. Or, or yeah. and then do yeah. you pay the writer? How does that it's work? It's all different kinds of things. So okay. sometimes you don't pay anything and they're just going to be cut in on the deal. Oh, I see. The okay. more you pay up front, the less there is on the other on side the of it, end. right? Okay. Um, but most, you know, people, if they're shrewd, Rather than get a few thousand dollars or ten thousand or whatever for the rights, the, like the big money is if a show goes. So it's like gambling on these people coming to you. And Eric took a bet on us. You know, even though something had happened ten years before that didn't work out so well for him, took the bet on us. And it actually like maybe wasn't a good bet for a while because like we jumped into all this stuff and was, and then COVID hits. Right, so we're about to take this show out. We get Rain Wilson on board. So how we got him on board was, you know, as simple as, you, you know, you'd like to think you have these agents and they're going to make calls and all that kind of stuff and they do that kind of stuff. But the best thing is if you're somebody with a reputation and you can get in touch directly. And so Rain's manager at the time was Bob Odenkirk's wife. Bob Odenkirk is, uh, um, is Saul from Better Call Saul. Oh, right, right. His wife was a well-known manager and your managers are accessible. You can call them. And we did. And Rain, it just turns out... Um, was a fan of Vice World of Sports, the show that I made. And also we had a mutual friend, the artist David Show that I mentioned before. And he sort of like checked me out. And, you know, he had been approached about all types of travel shows. And he said no to all of them. But there, this book he had read before, Rain. Oh, had, yes. Nice. So Rain had a whole YouTube channel that dealt with the science of wellness and happiness, right? Oh, so that's okay. why he was perfect. So when we looked at potential hosts for this, we wanted somebody who was funny, who had been open about, you know, struggles with like, depression, which Rain had been. He gave a whole commencement to USC, commencement address, talking about his struggles, but also could navigate like the language around this. Um, and he was perfect. So we got him on board, signed him up, you know, and then we we're ready to pitch the show and then COVID hits. And it's like, oh man, what are you going to do? Because, you know, number one, you know, just physically producing the show is going to be impossible for a long period of time. But also like, we're going to talk about happiness when people are at their worst place. Then it became apparent six months into the pandemic, okay, we can't pitch this right now, but probably this is going to be the show that has to get made when the pandemic ends, you know? And so, you know, later in 2020... So we you were pitching it during the pandemic, but people were like, I don't well, want to... Well, we did. We want... held back for a while. Okay. You know, for like six months, it was like, we're not going to talk about this. Right. We're just going to see how things go. Because right. you need to at least understand, like, there's, a, a you know, things look like they're going to open up in a few months and you're going to be able to produce something. So we got to that point, jumped back into it and brought it around to the networks. But how it works is you only need one. You know, there wasn't a whole bunch of, it wasn't a bidding war for the show. You know, and other networks had done a show, not exactly like this, but kind of like this. Some of them were working on something somewhere in the space. Some of them decided we don't want to do any like hosted shows or anything like that. And we happened upon Peacock. Peacock obviously was the network that The Office was on, but they also more importantly held currently the rights to The Office. So they had this show that Rain was in right. and had a massive, you know, I think The Office has overtaken Friends. It's like the most valuable syndicated show. So this massive audience of people and like, why not, you know, serve them up with something from one of their favorite stars uh, from the show. So that's kind of how that and, went down. And was there anybody else ever it, that could have been this person? that the host? Yeah. Or do we, you feel no, like I mean, like kind of like yeah. it? We didn't go through 10 people. I mean, it was really, he was, from a host standpoint, he was the first person was that it. we went he to. Had yeah. No, yeah, and, and like then making it, it would not have been easy to make this show with somebody else because he's 
really knowledgeable about the subject matter, really smart. He just put out a book also about this. It's a lot deeper and more specific about it. Um, so was he writing the book? Before he's been writing. Uh, he's been writing the book for a while. He had okay. another book that did pretty well. Um, but more importantly, he's not just funny, but he's a comedic actor, which is different than a stand-up comedian because besides just being sharp, like his brain being sharp, he knows how to improv in the moment. And so he was just so great to film with because he's he doesn't have to say anything to be funny. Right. You right. know, right. he can just be funny and also, you know, again, this is a meaningful, deep subject matter for him. So the amount of people, though, that like have – I'm a fan of The Office, but I wasn't some fanatic – but the only people have like tattoos of this guy's face on them, and it's crazy. In in places we don't even want to yes. know. Yes. <laughs> yes. Well, you were telling me about the one you had. And, no. Oh, <laughs> that's not for this show. That's another show. Um, so you you go through the pandemic. You have this. I mean, you feel great about this idea, but you know you're pitching other shows. I'm sure because you're yeah. like you never know. Like, you have to have a lot of irons uh, in the fire. Oh, yeah. You're like really kind of pushing ideas. And then um, was there ever a point with the show where you thought maybe it wasn't going to happen? Yeah. I, I probably can't get into too much detail about that right here, but there was a couple points. Yeah. I think every, what I've realized is every show has that point. A lot of it's in, like, the deal-making side of things. A lot of times there's a lot that's, like, left unsaid, specifically because you don't know, is this going to be six episodes? Is it going to be ten? Mm-hmm. Is there going to be a huge budget for this show? Is it going to be a smaller budget for the show? What network is it going to be on? You know, all these kinds of things. And so there's a lot of vagueness about, you know, how things move forward. And sometimes people are surprised when it comes to, like, the deal stage or or people are in two, like, completely different zones. And so what I've realized is a big part of my job is, like, figuring out the solutions to those things. And And keeping the train moving, right? Yeah. I mean, that was a big part of this, probably through COVID. And, you know, you get this big star and you're like, okay, this is going to hit. But we and, And I think you knew you can't serve this up during COVID. You had to wait yep. and you're incubating and you're probably in the back of going, I, this is the, you know, this is going to hit, this is yeah. going to be big. Um, and then I know uh, actually making the show uh, was also a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Shooting the show was a challenge. Some of the countries with the COVID, yep. can you get into that at all? Or? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's, you know, challenging to shoot internationally anyway. People have, you know, all these countries have rules and laws and you know, bringing certain equipment in and all that kind of stuff. The documentation you have to go through, every address, every place you've traveled, that's a lot of stuff because especially if they're inviting you to capture something and you could make their country look horribly, right? Hor- horribly. Um, and so, you know, some countries are more complicated, like Japan, for instance. You know, you have to have months of approval on specific dates and times. And so we unfortunately had a COVID incident like right before our shoot to Japan and we had to cancel it and had to do something else because – you know, we needed that same six months it took to set up. Again, we couldn't just push everything a couple weeks, you know, because of COVID. Everything had to go through the same So it, it takes six months to plan in another country to shoot. Not usually, but in Japan because of COVID. Like, they weren't letting people in. Right. They, Japan was of the most restricted, and we felt like we really wanted to cover it. And also that people haven't been shooting there. So if we can really focus and spend our time and get in, it would be great. And yeah, and then we had to sort of shift. I was like days away from leaving, days away, like a day away from leaving on a trip to Thailand and Japan, and I, we couldn't go. Oh, wow. We and ended up going to Thailand. We'll go to Japan in another season, but, you know, that made it hard. You had to shift. Had and to from shift. a budget standpoint, too, it's a lot of money spent on COVID stuff, you know? Sure. How, how uh, closely to the, to the book did you have to stay? We didn't have to do anything. I'd say we ended up some, somewhat close, like – 
we went to a lot of the same places. So in the book, he goes to um, he goes to Thailand. Um, he goes to America, which we did. He goes to Iceland, which we did. But he didn't go to Ghana and Bulgaria. We were initially supposed to go not to Bulgaria, but to Moldova as our unhappy country. That's the one he goes to in the book. But then the war in Ukraine kicked off, which is right next to Moldova and Russia. There's an area of, of Moldova that Russian soldiers occupy. And we couldn't do that. And, you know, we had thought about going to Finland as the happiest country. Um, and they were right next to Russia. And they were, like, arming up and getting ready. So that's when we, you know, think about this. We were, like, waiting all this time for COVID to kind of, like, end to go shoot the show. Yeah, war. And then all of a sudden, as we're about to plan up this war, which could have gotten a lot worse, you yeah. know. Had oh, yeah. that thing spread, that might have shut down the whole show. Yeah, yeah. So there's obviously some obstacles there that you yeah. couldn't have predicted and 100%. talks about what we talked about. And I think in, in the first one is just the being able to adapt in chaos, right? Yes. I mean, that's a big part of, yep. of what you had to do on the show. Personally, did you learn anything? Yeah. I mean, I learned a lot. Look, you know, I think there's always, there's more like specific smaller things, like just spending time in nature and all that kind of stuff. But I think the universal thing to understand is happiness is about connection whether it be to family, friends, people, you know, it's places where community is the strongest that people are the happiest. It's not places that have the most money or now, of course, there's a base level of like, you need to have enough money to like survive. Yeah. You know, so the, the large chunk of countries like on the bottom end of that list are just not happy because you don't have the basics. There's not a lot to learn about those except for that you just need the basics. But as you get to a place like Bulgaria and all those kinds of things, you start to see, you know, uh, a, a little bit more detail about why and how people are happy. And I think connection is the big thing. It's these communities. They're connected. The people yes. are connected. Yes. Yeah. It's the deep connection with your family, you know, the larger the family, the larger the neighborhood, the history of that neighborhood, the community relationships going back generations, the more comfortable and safe you feel because you just realize that even if something bad were to happen to you know, when it comes to financially bad, work-wise, or, or, you know, something would be harmful, or, you know, let's say you're a parent, and what would happen to my kids if something happened? The more comfortable you can feel the place that you're in, the more, the less stressed you'd be about those things. Right, right. Well, the show's, uh looks great. I'm, I'm excited to see, and I'm sure it's going to be a big smash. Um, last question I have for you. Uh, what's your dream project? Do you have a dream project? Do you have something cooking or is there something on the horizon? Or maybe you can't say, but maybe you can give us a little glimpse. In a no, I, I, I like, it's weird to say, but I was able to, I think make the, I, there's a, always something that's like my one I put, put, put up like this, but the dream project for me was the U uh, 30 for 30 that we made. I grew up as a huge university of Miami football fan, but I came up during the sort of like, you know, mid late nineties, early two thousands, knowing about those teams when a lot of the early success that was more interesting was like earlier in the eighties. And so I was able to get paid for two years to just focus on only, you know, something that was incredibly intriguing to me, which was the University of Miami football program. Right, right. Yeah. So that was your love. Yeah, and I got to meet everybody. And also not only that, like the great thing was like became, I don't want to say on the level of like the people who had these great accomplishments like on the team, but for everybody that's a fan of that team, that movie is like the Bible, it's right. like the Holy Grail. And so even amongst like the fans and the communities, it's something really nice to be able to say like, oh, I had a hand in that. I also met my wife like working on that. So, you know, Jenna, my wife, so yeah, that, you know, uh, it's that's... another special thing. So I really loved making that. I'd say that that was of the more personal stories, but there's always something. There's one I'm cooking up right now that I don't want to go to. I'll hopefully be able to talk to you about that next time. We yeah, sit down. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, I appreciate it. Fairland, you got anything else to 
Uh, we should probably book him for two hours next time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Evan, thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Thank you. Excited to see the show. Geography of Bliss. Check it out. Rain Wilson. Exciting. Thank see you guys next time.